Welcome in the No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are here on a playoff bye week for the first time ever in our five years of hosting this podcast. We've got a whole week to talk about next week because... The Titans got the number one seed by beating the Houston Texans narrowly at that, and we'll get into that game. But the Titans got the job done in the season 12-5 and atop the AFC, and as Mike Vrabel so eloquently put it after the game, they are already in the Elite Eight without having to play a game. Huge advantage, obviously, to their path to the Super Bowl. With that and the home field advantage that comes with it, we'll get into all of that, of course. Big deal, guys. I mean, the, the, the Titans, it, it's amazing. <laughs> it really is. You know, I, I think we all expected a lot this season. And, and while, you know, those expectations have still yet to be fulfilled because I want to see some playoff success from this team, they're kind of right on track with what we expected before the season, but yet also at the same time, like nothing that we expected before the season has happened. Yeah, I think as Titans, hand, as Titans fans, inherently we just can't ever expect to be the one seed um, in our conference. Like that's that just feels like a pipe dream, just because it hasn't happened. And and so like I can't even remember the last time um, it happened. Maybe one of those early two thousands teams. But man, it it, it feels good. Um, and it's just kind of crazy that after everything that has happened this season, the amount of injuries that they've had. Um, the quality of the injuries that they have, the the quality of the players that have gotten injured, like Derrick Henry, Julio Jones being injured for most of the year, AJ Brown being injured half the time. Um, it's crazy. It's it's crazy that the Titans are in this position. Uh, but I'm glad they are. It, you give yourself such a big advantage being the one seed and having a bye. Um, especially because there's only one team with a bye now. Um, with this new format. Um, and your chances increase like exponentially, like the, the numbers suggest that, uh, and it makes sense. You just have to, you win two games, whichever way you can win them and you're in the Super Bowl. So very exciting time. Uh, I hope it works out. I just want to see the Titans in the Super Bowl. It would be so awesome. Um, but we're not there yet, but great season to this point. Yeah. And something that people don't talk enough about is, I think the Titans first had the one seed when they beat the Colts for the second time. Um, I'm pretty sure that's when it happened. And so it's like they had the one seed when Derrick Henry played his last game. And then it was like, okay, the Titans have to hold on to this because if they let it slip, they'll never get it back. And they kept, they kept playing good, playing good, beat the Rams, beat the Saints. And then they started losing games because they were just too hurt. And for a while it felt like, okay, there are paths to get to the one seed, but we've got to start rooting for the Colts to beat 
the Patriots and we've got to start rooting for the Bills to be the Patriots. And, you know, you like you want the Colts to like it. It was all like dependent on other people. And then at a certain point, it was okay if the Titans can just beat the Chiefs basically for the last two games of the season, then they get the one seed. And everybody was like, yeah, but the Chiefs, you know, they figured it out. They're not going to lose again. And then lo and behold, they lose and the Titans just keep doing their job and they come from behind and win that back. So it's really like they won the one seed twice, like once when they were what they should have been. And then once when they were this ragtag group of, okay, we're going to start Bobby Hart one week and survive that. And another week we're going to have no receivers that, you know, other than maybe Julio Jones for like 50% of the snaps and, they kept making it through and making it through. And now, you know, they're not limping into the playoffs. They're like full head of steam. Everybody looks good. Let's go into the playoffs and they get an extra bye week. So, I mean, that is a much different scenario than we thought where, or where we thought they'd be like, even as recently as what three weeks ago when they played the Steelers and lost like, I mean, it's just a much different outcome than any of us were expecting. It's been such a roller coaster, too, because it started so low, right, with the Cardinals kicking the bleep out of them in week one. And then the first half against Seattle was a disaster, and then they come back in the second half and win. And then, you know, they kind of middle around, win some, some good ones against the Colts, and the Jets happens, man, and you're like, what the flip? And then Derrick Henry gets hurt. And then they go and demolish the Rams on Sunday Night Football. And then it's just all this back and forth stuff. And yet somehow, like I was saying earlier, earlier they're 12 and 5. They're atop the conference. And, and, and a lot of that credit, I think, goes to Mike Vrabel and the, and the culture that he has instilled of, look, you know, and I, I, I've said it, but their culture is, look, we're going to come in on Monday. We're going to have a game plan. On Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're going to practice that game plan. On Sunday, we're going to execute that game plan, and we're probably going to win. It's that simple with the Titans. There's no magic formula. There's no analytics. I mean, I'm sure they use analytics to some extent, but it, they just come up with a plan each week, and it usually works. It's it's that simple, and and that's why this team, despite what you know, I feel like the national media in some cases thinks the Titans aren't sustainable. Maybe some of the things they've been doing aren't sustainable, but that formula of just come in, come up with a plan, and then go play physical and win, that's sustainable, especially when you got a franchise quarterback, you got Derrick Henry, you got A.J. Brown, you got Julio Jones, you got the best front four in the NFL, potentially. Yeah, it's weird. It feels like the Titans are kind of a mystery team heading into the playoffs just because they haven't been healthy. Most of their stars just haven't been um, healthy for a big chunk of the season. Um, and we haven't really been able to see the offense with Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, and A.J. Brown all together um, being healthy and playing together. We just haven't been able to see that. And now it seems like for the first time this season, we're going to see it, and that's going to be in the playoffs. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see that. And if the defense could keep playing like it has, it, it they've been – Fantastic. Shane Bone has, has done a great job in his first year as an official defensive coordinator. Jim Schwartz, I'm sure, has helped a lot. And they just fly to the ball. They're really fun to watch. The the front the front four has been great. They get pressure so often. Um, and I'm excited to see 
how they're going to play. I hope they don't come out uh, in the next round and, and, and face plant, at least initially, because that would really that would really suck. But I think Mike Rabel is going to have them ready to play just because they have been in a lot of these high profile games um, this season. Um, most of the hiccups have been, you know, against not great teams, like even the Steelers game, like the Steelers are bad. They are not a good team at all. Um, and, and the Titans just completely blew that game with all those turnovers. But when the Titans have had to play good teams, they've shown up, um, and, and they've gotten the job done and that's exactly what's going to happen in the playoffs. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people going back to what, and there have been national media members who have, have recognized this, namely the Good Morning Football Quattro, or Quartet. Quattro is Spanish for four. I just tried to change three. We're going to move on from, <laughs> from that. Uh, but I, I feel like a lot of them are saying, well, the Titans aren't very uh, exciting. It's not always pretty. Uh, that Dolphins game was pretty. 49ers game was pretty. It was a little ugly maybe in the first half, but, you know, like, I think people are still looking at the Titans as like the Eddie George, we're going to run the ball in a cloud of dust 30 times and and just be tougher, and that's how we're going to win. Like That's not what this team is at all. There are some weeks where they win in that manner, but like they're talented, and, and they can finesse it if need be. Yeah, like... I, it's it's weird because you don't look at the Colts game where they blew him out earlier in the year because it's like, oh, well, Carson Wentz wasn't fully healthy. Okay. It's like then you look at the Chiefs game. So, ah, well, the Chiefs didn't really know what they were doing yet. Then you look at the Rams game and you're like, ah, that was just a crazy game by Matt Stafford. And it's like you go through these week in after week, you know, the Dolphins win seven in a row and come to Tennessee and can't put up a touchdown. Like, it, you line these wins up and then it's like, you know, they beat Jacksonville 20 to zero at home. And they also leave like 20 points on the board because they're not really pushing in the end zone. And then the Jaguars go and beat the Colts. And it's like all of, all of the Titans quality wins. And this is why Titans fans have such a big issue with big media is all of the Titans wins are because the other team messed up. And all of the Titans losses are, this is why we don't respect the Titans. And, you know, it's, you know, you can talk about like, you know, uh, good morning football. You, anybody on any given Monday will talk about the Titans game and they'll spend 20 percent of the time talking about what the Titans did well. It's always the and give the Titans credit because it's not like the leading the driving factor in their argument. So, you know, the whole like pretty win stuff like. You know, the Titans have said it better than I can, where it's, you know, it might not not always be pretty, but it's beautiful. Like uh, the the winds, that's what they say or something to that effect. And it, they're right. Like, it doesn't really matter because when they win pretty, it's somebody else collapsing. When they win close, it's not them being gritty and toughing it out and just winning games like it is for other teams, you know. So it, this double standard is just like you said, like they still think it's, you know, the Mariota days where if they win, it's because they won 13 to 10 and they got some lucky breaks and all that. Like that, they, they just can't seem to change that opinion. And that's fine. Like, you know, it, forget the years that they had Arthur Smith and they were scoring a bunch of points a game and those games are pretty and forget the big deficits they've had this season. But 
I mean, eventually you either have to take notice or you just get to be ignorant on on television, and those are your options. That's fine, though. That's what the Titans want. They want yeah. to be underappreciated. Yeah, like it, even this week, like the Titans beat the Texans, and they had all the reason in the world to want this to be a revenge game and, you know, to use – the the past loss to him is motivation and it's a Tannehill get right game and all this different stuff. And even then they let their foot off the gas after halftime. So, you know, like it, they, they seem to need all the motivation they can get and cool. Like keep doubting them. That's great. That works perfect for them. Let's get yeah. into some specifics of this Texans game. And then after that, some specifics about the postseason that is ahead. I think if you're looking for a positive, and we'll start there before we talk about the second half near collapse, the positive from this game is easily Julio Jones. No, the fact that for the first time since week two, he he emerged. He was a weapon for the passing game. He He, he was out there for most of the snaps, it felt like. Yeah, and he didn't even look completely healthy. Like It looked like he was still getting his feet under him, um, still might have had that hamstring injury in the back of his mind. Um, but she, just seeing him out there catching the ball, running routes, um, and looking at least like 80% of his normal self, I think is a great sign, um, especially because he has an extra week before uh, we even have to play another game. Um, so that's really exciting. That That was probably one of the bigger positives to, uh, to take away from this one aside from obviously just winning the game and, and getting that one seed. Well, and it's not just, I guess, yeah, Julio, that's great. I, I wrote something earlier about how I think the two, he and AJ Brown combined for 102 snaps, 120 something yards and two touchdowns. Like that was, that's the kind of game you're expecting from them. And the Texans aren't just a layup. A defense, you know, they t- they killed the Chargers a couple of weeks ago and had like four picks against them, and you know, like they they have had their moments defensively, especially. I think Levy Smith is their DC, and he's you know, famously a good defensive coordinator and defensive minded coach. So, like the, defensively, they're not bad. Uh, so, you know, putting up four touchdowns for Tannehill and no interceptions and looking pretty in control for most of the game like that. That's a good positive compared to, I I think that they expected to come out and run the ball 80% of the time in the second half and just pack up and go home to kind of snap back into it and drive down the field. Like he did was good. So uh, I think Tannehill for his first four touchdown game of the season deserves to get some shine here, but yeah, like getting Julio, as you know the second pillar of this offense really like it it makes it scary because it wasn't like the times we've seen him flash before where it's one big catch and then some screens that don't work or other things that kind of like boost his receptions it was constant intermediate targets it was him running good routes it was him staying in on you know running downs and blocking so you couldn't predict when it was going to be a pass like it, it was it was all good stuff so well, that, it, it that, was that also, good. it was also him and aj brown complimenting each other uh, right. and with julio you know there was some that they missed they missed that one over the top that would have been what 60 70 yards off of play action but i remember at the end of the first half 
he and Julio, or he and AJ, Julio Jones and AJ Brown both had over 50 receiving yards. Meaning that, you know, if the Titans had come out in the second half throwing the ball around the yard because they weren't up 21 to nothing, they probably, you know, they, that puts them on pace for 100 receiving yards each. It's this whole, you know, pick your poison thing. And, and I think there's been one game this year where we actually saw the pick-your-poison offense, and that was the Kansas City game. Because that was a game where all three of those guys played the entire game, and that was the game that the Titans scored a touchdown on their opening drive. Might be the only time this season that that's happened, if I'm recalling correctly. Um, and, and Henry was out there, and they all played off of each other. And that's why... I, I think he looked to this uh, playoffs, at, you know, before this game. Because I, I tweeted the other day, I I am in I'll believe it when I see it territory with Julio Jones. And what I saw on Sunday was someone who can help the team win games. He's not going to win games for them, right? I'm still not expecting or or thinking that a repeat of the Seattle game is a possibility. But he is someone that can help this team win games, which he was not for, like, the whole season minus week two. Yeah, I I don't think we can just expect him to be able to completely take over a game in the playoffs just just because he's been so banged up throughout the year. But, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that that Seattle game, you know, he could play like that again because maybe he could. We really don't know. What I'm even more excited about is the fact that there are other um, ancillary pieces that have stepped up. Like Anthony Furcher has been great the past couple of weeks. Nick Westbrook-Akeen in this game made another great catch, had a couple of, of long receptions. Um, he looks like a really solid number three receiver. And with those, with those three, with A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, Westbrook-Akeen, and then Furcher as your tight end, like, you can win a lot of passing matchup battles um, with those four players. Plus, you add Derrick Henry, who should be fresh and hopefully isn't going to have a lot of rust on him. Like That's a really good offensive base. Plus, Ryan Tannehill looks really sharp after what was a pretty rough stretch, to be honest, um, in the middle of the season. He was just turning the ball over way too much. But he's looked really sharp the past couple of weeks. Um, and that's a really good sign. Plus, and add to that just the fact that other players are stepping up. Plus, you're getting Julio Jones, AJ Brown healthy. You're possibly getting Derrick Henry fully healthy. Like the offense should be very good in the playoffs. I don't know if it will be because I'm still skeptical about the offensive coordinator and uh, most of we're his gonna, game we're plans. We're going to talk about him. Don't worry. Yeah, that, that <laughs> I fi- I figured we would, so I didn't want to get too into it, but. All things considered, a, a lot of positives going into into the playoffs for the Titans' offense. Yeah, and you, you talked about Ferkser. We should say like a touchdown in both the last two games. He's That's coming alive. Good. He's waking up. Yeah, and like he had what that like twenty four or twenty six yard catch down the middle where he kind of had to go up and like make a play and pull it in and expect contact. Like that was something we haven't seen anybody do, and we saw Westbrook Akina do the same thing on like the opening drive or something similar, like first or second drive, like that, that was impressive. And then the touchdown he caught, it wasn't like 
you know, the Nick Westbrook Aquino touchdown where it's kind of like sprint out, like you're uncovered in the flat and you get it thrown to you. And it's really just uh, the defense is out of alignment to stop you. Like it was Tannehill looked right and held the defense to the right and then trusted uh, Ferkser to be where he's supposed to be and then turned and saw him open and then like, you know, ripped it, not, you know, not full speed, but enough to where it had enough zip on it. And then they kind of, it was, it just looked easy, which is what, I think we expected to see more of this year from those two is just kind of easy touchdown passes in the red zone where his finesse can kind of show up. So, you know, it was the first game where the weapons looked like what we expected them to. Like if you try to stop AJ and you pay attention to him, you're going to get Julio. If you try to stop both of them, you're going to get Ferkser. If you don't get them, they'll find somebody else that's open because they don't have Derrick Henry to kind of take advantage of you that way. So that's good. Like, the fact that nothing seemed fo- like all game, like I, there wasn't a lot that felt forced. There were tougher throws and throws of the outside, you know, that are tough throws to make that Tannehill can just do. But it never felt like I really have to lob this up and hope that my guy makes a 50-50 play. It was the first time it looked like the scheme and the players were all on the same page, which I guess if you're going to have one game like that, the last game of the season is a good one to have. Without getting into a rabbit hole on this, I do want to talk about the Jones trade in, in general because we were talking about this before the show a little bit, and, and we kind of arrived at the conclusion that I don't think you can evaluate it until after the postseason. What I will say is, as far as his impact in the regular season, one you know, impactful game at the end plus one really good game in the first win of the season does not negate the 15 or whatever weeks in which he was nowhere to be found for one reason or another. Let's also remember that, again, as I've said, and as I wrote a couple weeks ago, the Titans traded for him thinking they were getting Super Bowl impact because they didn't just like take a flyer on some veteran player who no one else wanted. Like This was not the Patriots with Randy Moss. They sent a second-round pick, a fourth-round pick, and $15 million to get this guy. And to this point, he has not been worth that. Could he prove to be worth that? Yes, and that's why we can't say one way or the other yet whether the deal is worth it. Because I think that if he has three repeats of what he did against the Texans, and the Titans win the Super Bowl, despite the lack of production, you say it's worth it because anything is worth it when what you did winds up getting you a Super Bowl. But like honestly, anything short of that, I, I would be hard-pressed to say that, yeah, given the chance to do it again, John Robinson should should pull the trigger. Yeah, I really don't think there's there's any arguing that like his regular season did not go as planned. Like it was pretty much a disaster, um, to be honest. Given what we gave up for him, um, and when he, what he was actually able to accomplish, like when he played, at the very least, he helped out the team. Um, they went eight and two in the games that he played, so at least he was helping out. Um, and in a couple of the games, he really helped out, like the Texans game and the Seahawks game, uh, of of course. But we really just cannot evaluate the trade until we see the entire season play out and we see what he does in the playoffs and how far the Titans get in the playoffs. I don't know if 
it has to be a Super Bowl win. I think with a Super Bowl appearance and him playing at least well uh, in the Super Bowl, I would say it was probably worth. Oh, I would say just getting to the Super Bowl would would be enough um, as long as Julio is actually contributing. Um, but honestly, like even if he doesn't contribute, I don't know if I would care. Just getting to the Super Bowl uh, in general, I'd be like, it's okay because we got there anyway, and. I don't know what we would have gotten out of the compensation uh, that we gave up for him. But I agree we really can't evaluate it yet. But to this point, obviously, it hasn't worked out as planned. Yeah, the whole, you know, like you said, the whole thing has been what can he give you in the postseason? The cost is something like I think we need to talk about it in the right context where it's it was between they, they gave up a chance at another Dylan Radens to get Julio Jones. I, I mean, it, it, the offensive line loves Dylan Radens. Just has Roger Saffold and his approval of the 49ers game. We'll yeah. we'll go. We'll keep going. No rabbit holes. Uh, but it, the Titans basically made the choice to pick, you know, trade for Julio over keeping Corey Davis or giving a similar deal. So in doing that, they're going to they're get a future compensatory fourth-round pick. So scratch that fourth-round pick off with the one that they're giving up. So then it's just a straight-up second-round pick and half the guaranteed money compared to what Corey Davis got. And you're not really committed long-term, at, especially after this year. Like, And then even then, you can do whatever you want to do with it. But through, like, through the vein of, is he worth a second-round pick straight up? Like, We'll see, right? Like, this is the whole thing. Like, in in Tennessee, I think they really just thought he would be healthier than he was going to be because on, like, a per-target basis, like, he's not massively worse, like, especially after the last game. Like, I mean, if he played, like, that last game and then had, you know, two games like he had versus Seattle and then just missed the rest of the season, I I think it would easily have been worth it. Like, if he was just a 40 to 50-yard constant intermediate threat, you know, if I told you he was going to get four, you know, 12 yard first downs throughout the course of a game, that's absolutely worth it. So that, that's that's tough because I think there's part of them that babied him because they knew they needed him for the postseason. And I think that's why there was so much kind of confusion and dissent and everything early on with him saying, like, what hamstring injury? And then him talking about him being on a snap count, even though the coaches said he wasn't on the snap count and all that weird stuff. Like, so that's hard to say. Now, do I think they would do it all over again? I don't know because Corey Davis didn't end up healthy either. So it's really like they had two options that they thought were good options and neither one of them panned out. And, you know, that's never a good place to be in. But having said all that, like you said, like if he just goes out there and is a consistent threat that defenses have to respect and when they don't, they make him pay for it, whether it's, for just getting a first down, whether it's a 20 yard pass, whether it's a 50 yard pass, like as long as he is a threat that the other team has to be accountable for, then he will have earned his money. Now, if they lose a shootout 49 to, you know, 42 and he has 120 yards, then that's not on him. That's on whatever messed up. But, but yeah, like his value, like we've said all season is going to be, you know, what he does in the postseason and what he brings to this team in terms of, you know, that kind of leadership or whatever. And we don't know that part of it, but the only tangible results we're going to have are what he does the next month. 
let's talk about the negatives from this Texans game. Because there's a lot of positives to talk about with this Titans team, but there are a few things we need to talk about. First of all, they sleptwalked through the third quarter, both sides of the ball. The defense was horrendous. The offense was just kind of anemic. Uh, I, I, I don't know that we can look at that and say, oh, this is a big concern. Like, I, I, we'll bring up what you were telling us before the show about a quote you heard from Kevin Byard. Oh, yeah, okay. So if you listen to the, uh, the pregame, like when they're mic'd up, he essentially said uh, something to the effect of, you know, don't don't let him in this game, like shut him out, like, you know, it, 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 not these words, but basically put your foot on their throat early and they'll give up. And that's kind of what happened until they didn't give up. Like, I mean, the Titans very clearly were pressing early in the game. Like you look at what they did before halftime with the timeouts and driving down the field and getting the touchdown like they they wanted. And they also missed a field goal in the first half. So, like, if they just make that field goal, they're up twenty-four to zero, and even all the points the Texans got in the second half wouldn't have it wouldn't have won them the game. So, like, that they, they weren't right about you know them quitting, but there was a very clear effort to score a lot of points in the first half and definitely put the pressure on the Texans to not quit. Which credit to David Culley because by all rights, there's no reason that team should have fought for anything. Like Cooks was injured in the second half and didn't come back in. Uh, Jordan Reed, uh, their safety, uh, he did like he didn't play in this game because of COVID, and he basically said goodbye to the Texans on Instagram. Like that, you know, it's not like they were a veteran team, you know, full of leaders. Like you're trying to go out on their shield. Like it, all the credit in the world for, to him for somehow getting them to play hard. Yeah, I, I uh, they played hard for David Culley really all season. The fact that they won four games is remarkable. But, Matthias, what do you think about this? Because especially based on that, and, and I don't think that's nothing. I, th- this is not something to worry about. I think this is just a one-game sloppy thing. No, it, it was it was just more annoying than anything. Um, but like we said, like respect to the Texans, they've done this in a lot of games. They've been in games, and they've stuck around in games Right where they really shouldn't because they are supremely overmatched um, given their roster and, and given the players that they've even had uh, available. But they crushed the Chargers. They stayed in it against the 49ers for, for a half. Um, and they came back in this one. In respect to them, their players have not quit on their coach. I think that says a lot um, about their head coach. And Davis Mills played well. Davis Mills has been what probably the most impressive rookie quarterback um this season which it which is yeah. kind of crazy but it if you think about it like he kind of has okay like, so he has played re- rather well i was gonna have us rank the rookie quarterbacks who started consistently or at least talk about you know which one we would have because it's justin fields trevor lawrence davis mills zach wilson and uh mac jones, mac jones. The, the titans faced four of these and the only one that yeah. and lost to two of them, right? No, lost to Jones, Wilson, and Mills. Beat Trevor Lawrence, right? They made they didn't Zach lose. Wilson they didn't like. lose to Mills. They lost to Tyrod Taylor. 
That's right. Didn't play in that game. Sorry. True. B- brain fart there. Yeah. But in terms of this season, it's Jones and then it's Mills, right? I would go so far as to say Davis Mills has been more impressive than Mac Jones, but that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of arguable. But I mean, Mac Jones I, I, is I, in I the would, postseason. I would agree. Yeah, that's fair. Um, because of their defense and their so has been game. Roethlisberger. <laughs> yeah, that's a good so. point. Um, the other thing I want to talk about in terms of a negative is the slow starts on offense. I'm going to write a column about this next week leading into the game. I did a variable question the week about it. I asked Todd Downing about it last week. Like, it, It's mind-numbing. And, and the reason that I think it's so important that I'm writing about it and I'm, I'm, I'm constantly bringing it up is when you get to the playoffs, the margins become so thin. Like I remember when I was in high school, I did an activity that was kind of like debate. And, and we were good. We ended up going to the national championship tournament, and we placed third. And I remember our coaches talking about, like, you know, when we would go to the local competition, we could sleepwalk and blow, you know, blow out the competition. And then you would go to the next level and it'd get a little harder. But when you made it to that national competition, the margins became so thin that you had to be nearly perfect to have a chance. And I think that's very true in the NFL playoffs because you are getting everyone's best in terms of game plan, in terms of personnel, because no one is saying, well, you know, we'll just rest them a week and hope they're back. No, everybody's playing now. And you're also playing the best teams who have won enough to get to that point. And I'm sorry, but this Titans team, which is more than capable of winning a Super Bowl with the coaching and the roster they have, will not do that if it takes them three drives to get jump-started every game. No, it's it's very frustrating, and it's been like this all season. Um, what concerns me even more is that it's not only coming like to start the game. It happens in the second halves of games too, where they just come out of halftime and they're they're sleepwalking. They're they're committing penalties or they're running the ball twice uh, on first and second down. They get nothing. They're behind the sticks, and then they throw an incompletion, and we have another three and out. And it, it's frustrating that that it happens also in the second halves of games in addition to at the start. I don't know what Todd Downing is telling them in the locker room. He's clearly not a great motivator in that respect because (laughs) it just makes, it makes no sense that they come out of the tunnel and they just are so lost on offense, but then they finally get into a rhythm and they look okay. They get long drives, they bleed the clock and and they punch in scores. But man, I like, it's going to be rough in the playoffs if they don't solve this, but I don't know how we can expect anything else when everything we've seen this season has been the same. I hope that getting Derrick Henry back means that some of those first and second down runs um, are going to create first downs and, and, and longer drives to, uh, to start the first quarter and to start the third quarter. But I don't know. I'm just not all that optimistic about it getting resolved. Yeah, <laughs> like I tweet about it every week, right? Like I've tweeted about it for, I, it feels like my entire life at this point because it just keeps <laughs> happening. But every week after the first two drives, I, I mean, maybe since before midseason, like I, I would tweet like, okay, we're out of downing time. Like this is when the offense can show up. In the past two weeks, they've scored 17 points back to back to back after that. 
And then this past week, they scored 21 points back to back to back after that. Like, it's not like it's not some weird like, oh, wasn't that a weird thing that they had no no uh, uh, points in the first two drives and they started scoring? It's like, no, that's who they are. And, you know, you can ask and that what they're going to tell you is like, oh, we have things we're going to work on and we, you know, we need to clean stuff up out there. Like, but we already know what the deal is, right? Like. They, if you read between the lines, they talk about how their scripted plays and how they go through their scripted plays, and then after that, you know, blah blah blah. Like, it's it's the things that Todd Downing does where he's like, I think that'll work. I think that'll work. Okay, we're gonna run that. Like, they they don't work. Like Todd Downing left to his own devices doesn't can't do it. Like he cannot find the players to attack. He can't find like the advantage he has schematically. Like it's just he's writing with crayons like he, he doesn't get it. But after he tries two times, I'm going to give him the smallest amount of credit and I'm going to hope that he's part of the conversation, but he and Tannehill get together and maybe the other coaches in the offensive staff and they say, okay, what's, what are they giving us that we're not handling? What do we need to do to adapt? What, what checks do we need to make? What changes do we need to make with like the line and the receivers? And then they seem to get it together and get into a rhythm. But, Man, it is really hard when your coach is like, I script plays, and it's like, okay, but your entire history of scripting plays all season have been absolutely trash. Like, it's hard to put him in a good light. Like, that would be like if you had a special teams coach, and every time you punted the ball, your punter shanked it directly out of bounds, and it's like, we've got a really good special teams. It's like, no, this core aspect of what your job is, is not working correctly. Like you were doing a bad job here and it doesn't matter if you overcome that later, you're putting the team in a bad position because you're not good enough in this area and it's not going to change. They've had success. They don't like teams don't change when they're successful. That they continue to do the same stuff over and over again, whether it's out of superstition or habit or whatever. But like, they're not they, so successful is, with that. <laughs> no, but like that that does like it's the same reason why there's not changes in the offensive line, like to like to uh, Questenberry and all that. Like if your if your unit works well enough, like if your offense, if your offensive line, whatever if it works well enough and you're winning games and it's not such a detriment that you lose, you're not going to change anything. And then if they lose in the postseason and it's something like this happens, they're going to say, man, we really wish we would have started off better early. You know, we started off on our back foot and we never recovered. Like that's what they're going to say, but they don't really want the answer. What they want is for like, they want to tell you things, do the same things over and over and just hope that they can outthink it. Like they're not going to change their habits. You know, I, when I asked Downing about it, his answer was surprising in that I expected him to kind of play it off or whatever because they had just one. And he said, you know, there he said, you know, I don't think we've been efficient enough early in games this season. I was like, OK, so they know it's a problem. Are, are they going to do anything about it? I mean. That, like probably not it's, it's the whole thing right it's 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 todd downing like he doesn't like he doesn't respect the media enough to tell him the truth also he's a coach he's not gonna say the truth but it's like you know we're not gonna jerk the wheel throw it 52 times in the rain 
Like, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, he, he says things and then maybe he like giving him the benefit of a doubt. He doesn't like track it well enough in game. But it, what he says to the media is, what can I say to get off of this Zoom call? What can I say to get out of this press conference? And then I'm going to do whatever I want to do on the field. Like, that's what it is. And there's no there's no regulating body above him. So he just does it like so you I don't know, know he's always saying in press conferences like well that's above my pay grade or that's for the people over me when when he's asked ask actual questions that he would have to answer <laughs> when it's like hey uh what do you think about this it's like oh you know I actually like that's you know I let everybody else decide that I just I wait and see where Derrick Henry is and then I'm going to I'm going to do whatever it's like okay you don't have any input on it or you just are afraid you'll say the wrong thing and get in trouble but whatever yes <laughs> But obviously the Titans need to be better at scoring points early in games. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to start looking ahead a little bit. We obviously don't know who the Titans are going to be playing in the first or in the second, excuse me, their first playoff game, the second round of the playoffs. Uh, We don't know who that's going to be. We'll find that out this weekend. But there are some things we can talk about as far as the Titans' chances in the playoffs and what they'll need to do to win the Super Bowl. We'll get into those conversations in just one moment. You're listening to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. So, guys, the first thing I want to hit on as we get into looking ahead to the postseason, generally speaking, because, again, we're not previewing a game, we don't know what opponent, is Deontay Foreman. Because the guy's been great for the Titans. He's done everything you could have hoped for. He was gutsy in that Steelers game. I remember that where he got hurt and then came back like a play later to get a fourth and one. Like he's been great. But I think there are a lot of Titans fans who have convinced themselves that because he has like in some, you know, right sense, like earned the opportunity that that this needs to be some kind of split between him and Derrick Henry. And I tweeted today while I was eating lunch. I said, you know, Deontay Foreman's done a swell job. He's helped save the Titans, but this does not need to be a committee. You know, every carry needs to go to Derrick Henry. And a lot of people were like, yeah, but there are a lot of people who disagreed with this, like a lot. I mean, there's someone saying that Foreman needs to have 10 to 15 carries a game. Like, can can you guys help me figure out what I am not saying to help people understand why Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry needs the football? I can't, I can't believe this is a thing. Um, look, Foreman could absolutely will be a spellback for Henry whenever he needs a break if he's not all there fitness wise and you know he's huffing and puffing and he has to come out for a play or two sure yeah Foreman should go in and I'm sure he's going to do a fine job because that's what he's done um since he's since he's been here like he's been playing uh rather well he's been fantastic in a couple of games but I mean, it's Derrick Henry. I can't believe we we even have to go through this. And as as good as Foreman has been in a fill-in role, like, he's had games where he has not been all that great. Like, he's been under under four yards of carry in over half of his games played this year. Like, it's not like he's lighting the world on fire. 
He's been good. He's been better than replacement level, uh, and he's absolutely helped the Titans win games. But he's not even close to Derrick Henry's level. I do think Foreman could play a role surely in the playoffs um, if they need him in a pinch or maybe, you know, at the goal line. He's been pretty good at that um, if if Henry, you know, needs to take a playoff or two. But, I mean, it's, cra- it, it's crazy. It, it, it's crazy this thought that they need to be a one-two punch. No, Derrick Henry is his own one-two punch. It is the one-one punch, and one plus one equals 20 equals two 20, 22 <laughs> nailed yeah. it will save yeah. me please a, yeah i mean I, I thought you were gonna say like it's the one punch knockout like all that kind of stuff but <laughs> yeah like I, so at some point along the way we've we've lost our way we don't really understand like if, if you think that like just remember we saw derrick henry putting up you know great numbers and, you know, eventually being ninth in the league in uh, rushing yards it, when it was the opposite of, you know, like this is when he never thrives. Like he's never good in the first half of the season. And he was doing well and holding up well and was constantly getting more yards than his offensive line was blocking up for. And now, you know, we saw the Titans offensive line block poorly. Like we saw that against the Rams. We saw that against, you know, the Steelers for chunks. Like, you know, we we've seen them not do well. And the plays where Foreman's doing well are the plays where everything's blocked up and he can hit the hole with speed. But I think we've forgotten a little bit what that looks like when it's Derrick Henry, because when Derrick Henry's shoulder pads break through and he's upright with speed moving to the second level, like we're not thinking, oh, he might get 12 yards. We're thinking, oh, this might be a 50 yard touchdown. And for some reason, more often than not, it is. So, you know, we've we've forgotten that explosion because you really never see it early in the season. And just to paint the picture, there's no running back in the playoffs who's healthier or more more well rested than Derrick Henry. There's there's no run defense in the NFL that's better than the Titans. So they already have like I mean, the the best run defense isn't going to play Derrick. Henry. It's going to be, I think, out of the six AFC playoff teams, there's uh, four of them have substantial, like below average uh, rush defenses, and the only two above it are um, Buffalo Pittsburgh and New like England. 13. Oh, no, sorry, sorry. Buffalo and New England are like the only ones that are decent. No, 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 no. Remember, uh, the Titans had 200 yard rushers against Oh, yeah, the, the Patriots. Yeah. That's yeah. True. Like they're, they're like 22nd. Um, it's like the Bengals, for some reason, uh, are like top 10. I think that might be like fifth or sixth or something. And then uh, the Bills are like in that 13, like that range. And then everybody else is like the Raiders are like 19. The Chiefs are 22nd. The uh, Patriots are 23rd. And the Steelers are 32nd. So it's like you're facing, you know, a pretty bad group of run defenses. And you're doing it in cold weather. At home, so it's going to be an open stadium, so it's going to be in the cold weather against teams that are already banged up, who are all having to play this next weekend. In addition, like they're not getting rest right now, so you're getting a healthy Derrick Henry in his time of year on 11 weeks of rest, motivated to show everybody who's been saying that Jonathan Taylor is the best running back in the league and that, you know, it, welcome to the Jonathan Taylor experience. Like he, uh, he has all that pin up. And he's going to get to play by an offensive line that finally is run blocking better. And, 
you have Julio Jones and AJ Brown out there, like I don't think people understand what this could be. Like this could be better than the 2019 playoff run when he set the record for most rushing yards in like a postseason or in like back-to-back games or whatever it was. Like he could be better than that against more banged up defenses. Like th- this could be truly spectacular. So you don't want to take any carries from him because you don't know when he's going to break one for a touchdown. Like that, you know, I can tell you Foreman is probably not going to break one for a touchdown. Like if he does, it'll be like a 30 yard touchdown. Like Derrick Henry could break a 90 yard. We've seen him do it several times. He could break a 60 yard. Like it could happen anywhere at any time. And also don't forget, he learned how to catch this season too. And he was doing that better than he's ever done it before. So (laughs) Add that in there too. Like th- it's it's crazy yeah. to think that you don't want him to touch the ball as many times as possible. <laughs> I, I think you've nailed it, Will. It, it's the whole explosiveness factor. I mean, I, I, how many times this season? Because because I have done this a lot, and I'm sure both of you have. Have you been watching a game where you, you've turned to the person next to you, or if you're alone, you you kind of say it to yourself. It's like, man, if that was Derek, that's a touchdown. How many times have you said that? Because I've said it a bunch, a hundred times. Watching Deontay yeah, Foreman. Like all- yeah. And, and all, all and it, the time, you know, Vrabel talking about defensive turnovers earlier in the season used the phrase uh, "tickets to the lottery," in the sense of, you know, you, you got to get near the football and start ripping at it, and that that gets you a ticket to the lottery, and eventually you're going to cash in and force a fumble. Derrick Henry is a lot like a ticket to the lottery. Now, unlike a lot of explosive running backs, he doesn't just make his hay on the long runs. He's capable of you know, plowing forward for five, six yards. But every carry to Derrick Henry is a ticket to the lottery in a way that a carry to Deontay Foreman or Dontrell Hilliard is not. Every time you give the ball to Derrick Henry, that play might be a touchdown. That's not true of the other two guys. And that's the difference here. And Will, you even tweeted earlier today, you think Titans fans have like forgotten how good Derrick Henry is, right? Yeah, it's like, because he's such an anomaly, you, we've spent, what is it, like a, 10 games at this point watching other running backs run the ball. And we've, like, you think you've seen the peak. Like, I mean, especially if you're Titans fans and you just watch Titans games, like, they haven't been allowing any big runs. So not only have you not seen the Titans running back bust any really long home run touchdowns, but you haven't seen uh, the other team do it either. So we've kind of forgotten how explosive he can be. Like, I think about against like, I, I mean, all you will remember as soon as I start talking about this, but like think about against Cleveland uh, in, I think, 2019 when like Cleveland scored a touchdown. It looked like the tides were about to turn and Derrick Henry catches a screen pass and runs it for 75 yards and a touchdown. Dennis Kelly has to like drop to his knees to make sure it doesn't hit him. And then Derrick Henry just outruns everybody like yeah. you you're he's like Tyreek Hill. Like, I mean, it's like, I I can't, I don't know why I should have to explain this to Titans fans. And if you, you know, if you respect Henry and remember, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the ones who think that there's any world where he should split touches. Like he is the most electric player in the NFL. And even if you're not going to give him the ball, having him on the field is a big difference. Like we, we talked about it when he was injured, how, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't affect play action like if you how well you're running the ball, but if you're committed to running the ball, it does change play action. 
So if you have Derrick Henry, nobody doubts your commitment to run in any given situation. If it's, you know, second and 25, like you can have your regular formation out there and everybody is going to fully bite on the fact that you might hand it to Derrick Henry and then you can pop a 20 yard pass and then you're back in business. Like there's a hundred situations where having Derrick Henry on the field is better than not having him on the field. And like we just have forgotten what kind of a game changer he can be. I want to, here's what I want to do now as we continue to look ahead to the Titans and the postseason, because I think we have each talked about, think this team can win the Super Bowl. So, let's go around. And what I want each of us to do is to give one thing about this team or one reason why you think they've got every shot in the world to win the big one. And also one thing that's kind of keeping you reserved where you look at them and you're like, yeah, but there's just this one thing I don't know that they can get past. You want me to start? Yeah. Uh, I think the one thing that can and possibly will get them to the Super Bowl is their pass rush. I mean, they have not had a pass rush like this in any of the previous times they've been in the playoffs. It's huge. It's huge to get pressure on, on these quarterbacks, especially the ones that the Titans are possibly possibly going to have to play with against uh, Mahomes, Josh Allen, uh, maybe Derek Carr, Joe Burrow. Like these are guys that need to be pressured and need to be thrown off of their spot um, in order to you know throw the rhythm of the offense off. And I think the Titans have so much pass rush, rushing firepower that it could really affect the other team's offense and having that type of defense uh, with that pass rush is huge. And I think that could get them to the Super Bowl. Uh, I mean, we, we talked about it before. The thing that has me reserved is, is Todd Downing, honestly, like the offense just has too many spells where they look awful. And even when a decent play, it feels like something goes wrong. Like there's like a, a, pass blocking disaster someone's holding there's a penalty um there's just too many moments where that happens and if that happens for too many drives in the playoffs like that's enough that could just sink your team um and honestly like the turnovers also the turnovers could be if they rear their ugly head again like that's it you're out of the playoffs in an instance so the offense's consistency i guess it is what worries me the most uh, in terms of the Titans going to the Super Bowl, but their defense has me the most confident and excited um, that they could get there. Yeah, like I, I don't want to sound too much like a broken record, but yeah, like I, I'm I'm looking at it right now. Uh, where do you think uh, we'll play a little game here? Where do you think the Titans rank among uh, the AFC playoff teams in terms of sacks, like first through seventh? Where do you think they rank? In terms of sacks, like, yeah, I'm gonna Se- say fifth. second, right? Uh, yeah, they're second, Matthias. They're behind the Steelers. Yeah, because no TJ Watt had 22 yeah. and a half sacks. Yeah. but think yeah. about that. Like, no playoff team in the AFC has more sacks, and it's not like I mean, it, the teams in front of them are not like. So the Rams have more sacks; they have 50. And uh, are the 49ers in the playoffs? Yeah, right. Yes, they they By have the 48 and then the Bucks have 47. 
Like that's it. Like that, those are the only people in front of them that are in the playoffs. Like the Titans have 43. So in the AFC, they have the best rush defense and they have more sacks than anybody except for Pittsburgh who has to play uh, the chiefs in the first round. So if they do great, perfect. Like that, you know, better for the Titans anyway. So like there it's good. Like it will rarely, but probably never happen where the Titans face a tougher or better defense than what they have. So that's a pretty like that. That's a pretty important metric to keep in mind. And like I said, like, it's not like they're all pin ears pinned back to the quarterback. Like they also were the, the absolute best rush defense in the playoff on the NFC or a in the playoffs on the NFC or the AFC side. So yeah, like as weird as it is to say the defense could drive them to a championship and like, you know, we've talked about all the other ups and downs. I guess the one thing that the, the one, if, if I'm not going to say Todd Downing and the opening drives and all that, I'll say are the Titans offensive line where there's times where it just looks like they don't know what to do. It looks like they're poorly coached. And for as many games as they've played together, you know, in all their careers, they just don't seem to have enough chemistry to be able to explain where they're supposed to be. And that that is an aggravating tendency that they have because how many times a season have we seen Julio Jones open deep and Tannehill drops back only to have somebody in his face or, you know, for him to not be able to get to the second read because the offensive line parts like the Red Sea because they expect somebody to pick up something and then it doesn't get picked up and Tannehill gets hit. And now all of a sudden you're in second, 14, second and 16. So, I mean, on paper, like for all the advanced made up stats that say that the Titans aren't a good team. I mean, on the stats that are real and tangible, like it's hard, it's hard to find teams that are clearly better than them and they get to play all their games at home. So, you know, the offensive line messing up is, you know, potentially scary, but man, like the defense finally getting David long and Cunningham together and them looking every bit worth, you know, what we thought they would and everybody being rested on defense to make them even better. Like, I, like they seem dangerous. My two are probably not terribly surprising with Derek Henry as a close second. I'm going to steal Matias. I'm going to go pass rush. I think I said that last week. It's just, it, it, it cures a lot of ills for a defense. I mean, you can have some pretty crappy DBs. Thankfully the Titans don't for their sake. Uh, and get away with it when you're getting to the quarterback that easily with four. I think it's a real difference maker in the playoffs. They didn't have it, certainly not last year when the defense stunk, and they didn't have that uh, when they made it to the AFC Championship. I remember watching Wesley Woodyard chase Patrick Mahomes around, right? You're not going to have to watch that kind of thing this time around. And the bad thing, I'm going to go with the Todd Downing thing because you get playing against the Chiefs and they get hot, Look, I see all these people, and, 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 you know, we have intentionally not had the, which opponent do you want? I don't think it matters. It's the playoffs. Every game is going to be difficult. Anybody can get hot at any time. And all these people riding the Chiefs off like, oh, they don't scare me. I don't know, man. Like, you want the Patrick Mahomes smoke at any point? Like, but, but and that to say... You know, you get in a high-scoring game and you start two drives later than the other team, 
I know the Titans can come back, but eh, it's not a good way to start. So that's what I'm going to go with for this conversation. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think the only other thing that would concern me is maybe Derrick Henry being rusty. Like we've seen him sometimes where he starts a season and he's so tentative and like he's, he's falling with like the slightest bit of contact. I just hope that doesn't happen. It really didn't happen this season. This season, he kind of got off to a really fast start and he looked like himself uh, immediately. So hopefully that's the case uh, in the playoffs. It would be a pretty big, uh, pretty big boost. It stopped the nonsense time, which means that, the next segment we do will be previewing the divisional round of the playoffs. I'm so excited. Uh, you know, I, I said this on the A to Z post game show that, and I was telling you guys, I've never been to a playoff game of any sport. Like I've never been to a Predators game. Couldn't go to the game last year with the Titans because of the the COVID protocols. Um, but I'm I'm fired up. And um, in addition to that, I'm fired up to write about it leading up. It's fun to cover a playoff team. I'm really excited for our episode next week because. You know, we'll get someone on to talk about the opponent as we always do during the playoffs. Cause that could be like, there are a lot of podcasts that bring on like an enemy preview type of thing. And, you know, I think that's boring a lot of times because you're not always playing a very good team. But we've traditionally done that in, for big time matchups, uh, but especially for the playoffs. So looking forward to diving into this upcoming matchup next week. But for now, it is time for Stop the Nonsense, and we will do that in 30 seconds. Who would like to start Stop the Nonsense? Uh, I want to I make a proposal. Uh, in addition to all our individual ones, I feel like we have not spent any time talking about the Colts. And yeah, we get it that. Feels like it, it would sh- <laughs> I feel like I had that on be. here and I just forgot it. Maybe I thought we would just yeah, get true. to that at Stop the Nonsense time. Because we do need to yes. talk about the fact that the Colts got blown out, really, or, or, or at least thoroughly defeated by a previously two-win Jacksonville team that was playing to a crowd of clowns. Yeah, like, there's so much to unpack there that we just... uh, I I, I slipped my mind, Will. I'm glad you brought it up. I I would never miss this chance. (laughs) Uh, So rest assured, this was never going to slide under the radar. So I guess as sort of like a mini, like stop the nonsense segment let's just take a second to look back and really realize what the Colts were and where everybody was just absolutely wrong so I'm looking at their schedule now the teams they beat are the Dolphins the Texans the 49ers early back when uh that was the game where they said that Carson Wentz fumbled that ball where he threw it directly to a defender and they didn't want to count as an interception um, in that rainstorm. So they beat them that game. They beat the Jets, the Jaguars, the Bills, good job, the Texans, the Patriots, and the Cardinals. So I would say three quality wins on there. And then every other team they played, the ones with winning records are close, the Rams, the Titans, the Ravens, the Titans again, the Bucks, uh, the Raiders, like, like, we should have known what they are. They're not different from Miami. They're the same team. 
Like the only difference is, is Brian Flores coaches one team and y'all don't prop him up. Whereas a Frank Wright coaches the other team and everybody and their mom wants to talk about how he's an offensive genius. So I, it, it is the most absurd thing in the world that the Titans have been dominating this division since week two. And it, it has never been reported that way. Like, this is the most stop the nonsense segment of all time. They, I mean, the Titans allowed fewer points. Like, I, like, I just, I don't know what other, like, there's no metric where you look at it and you're like, oh man, the Colts really deserve to win this division. They got turnovers against bad teams. They beat bad teams and y'all let that confuse you and make you think they're good teams because you know, one of their offensive linemen's name, like it's pathetic. Yeah. It, the the Colts hype, like granted, they had a stretch very recently where they were playing very good football. They annihilated the Colts, or excuse me, the Patriots, um, and and had another uh, other nice wins to go along with that right in a row. But like this team was always going to be hampered by the fact that a Carson Wentz was its quarterback, and b um, you know through throughout. Sorry, I got a text and lost my train of thought. Carson Wentz was its quarterback, and throughout the offseason, with cap room to spare, their general manager sat on his hands and did nothing. Like, And most bowlers in the it. NFL? Yeah. Who? Like, I, I keep seeing that stat. I don't really pay attention to the Pro Bowl. I, I imagine, like, it's seven, so I imagine Buckner is one, Nelson is two, uh, Pittman? Is he one of them? Uh, once you pull him up, Will Buckner, defensive backs. I'm sure. Let me look. Yeah, I'll look. Who? Jonathan Taylor. There's three. That's the obvious one. Yeah. Um. Let's see. They had Buckner, Ryan Kelly, Pro Bowl. Ryan Kelly should not have made it, but people know his name. Uh, Darius Leonard, Kenny Moore, uh, Quentin Nelson, and long snapper Luke Rhodes, and and. Jonathan Taylor. So here's the thing, and this is what drives me crazy because you sound like a conspiracy theorist if you say it, but it's a hundred percent true. The Pro Bowl this year was manufactured to put more Colts in the Pro Bowl because they're on hard knocks. Like there's nobody like DeForest Buckner was not beating Jeffrey Simmons in Pro Bowl votes. Like Everybody knew he was the second high. He had the second most fan votes by anybody in the in a, by, or by any defensive tackle behind Aaron Donald. Like that was that was out there. That was early, and it was a wide margin. And then all of a sudden, Simmons doesn't get in, and Buckner comes out of nowhere and gets his spot, and he has a worse season than Simmons. So you're telling me that the coaches who had to coach against him, who were getting beaten by him more frequently, and the player votes somehow added up to Simmons not even getting mentioned. Meanwhile, one of your guys on hard knocks gets pushed in because he has name value. Like it's, it's such like, it's like, it's one of those, like I'm not part of like the Trump stop the vote, like all that stuff. Like, but this is the time when I'm like, okay, I can see where people went absolutely crazy for a minute when they thought the election was being rigged because it, I mean, it feels like they just went into a room and said, actually, weirdly enough, he has exactly enough votes to, uh, to win the pro bowl. And like, it, it's, and, I'm so well, disillusioned. And this. the, it was like the league was pushing this too. I mean, I you remember when they put JT for MVP as their Twitter bio. 
Yeah, and then they had super it, like, like, weird. And, and despite <laughs> what a lot of you think, like the, these social media accounts are not being run by some intern. Like these people have full time jobs and careers and training to run social media, and that was a decision that was strategically made by these people. Yeah, and like it's been all season long. It's been pictures of the Colts and advertisements for Hard Knocks. Like all, like you can go there right now. Like this morning, it was. Uh, the hard knocks like season finale or whatever. Like, I mean, it has so clearly been driven uh, to skew the, and like, I'm not going to say like the, the officials were changing games because that's a little much, but like this stuff is not like, this is totally believable. It's a made up award system where they say, okay, everybody come vote for it. And then they go into a closet and they pick the guys they want. And then they tell you who's elected. And it's like, isn't it crazy that the big names got it, even though they weren't the best players? Like that's why people don't respect the Pro Bowl; they respect all pro lists, and it's it's just such a crazy thing. Like I, I hate every bit of it. Um, and I, so I'll go ahead and take that vitriol, <laughs> and I'll, I'll roll into my actual stop the nonsense because I, I I could go on about this stuff forever. Um, so mine is uh, Chad Forbes who. Um, he's a big Jared Stillman fan. And if you're a big Jared Stillman fan, I don't get it. Uh, but cool. I'm glad you're here. Um, and he, he tweeted this, he quote tweeted Paul Kaharski, uh, who was making some point. Uh, and he said, Vrabel coached the S word out of the team where the off season moves didn't work out, work out, except they got ridiculous surplus value from Danico Autry. And this is kind of a running theme with Chad Forbes. Um, if you know him on Twitter, cool. If you don't, don't waste your time. But he sort of like has this weird – he's the only person I've seen where he pits this as it's the front office versus uh, the coaching staff. And he did it earlier this year during the draft where he basically said like, John Robinson historically like misses out on everything. And it's why like he and Mike Vrabel are going to have to part ways soon. And everybody would rather have Mike Vrabel than, uh, John Robinson, like just asinine stuff like that. Like, I, I don't know if he, I don't know if Stillman is his source and like, he thinks he's got some info inside info. That's just not true or what, but I mean, that couldn't be more contrary to, you know, anything anybody says with inside information or with no inside information. Like it's very clearly not that. And to say, you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that as somebody who's watched John Robinson's work, I can appreciate it because of all the stuff he's done. And I constantly have, you know, try to put that in perspective while the team has never had a losing season underneath him. So for some Jack wagon to come along and just be like, Oh, uh, actually, you didn't know this, but none of the moves he's made has worked. It's actually just Mike Vrabel being an amazing coach. Like, it, it's so utterly ridiculous that, you know, he's one of those guys who doesn't have his, like, actual face as one of his pictures or anything. It's just, like, an NFL draft logo, and it's all, like, uh, it's it's the worst. So, um, follow him if you want, like, wrong information or if you just want to troll him. Like, I'm, I fully support that, but otherwise, do not waste your time. So my stop the no Matias, you have something to say? I just heard that Mike. No, I was gonna say <laughs> Yeah, that, that guy is a terrible, uh terrible Twitter account. See, I don't I, know how I'm not that familiar with him. 
you you wouldn't be like most reputable people don't ever quote him or tweet. he he gets most of his buzz by doing what he did where he quote tweets somebody like Paul or somebody like Stillman and in an attempt to agree with a point they make then get retweeted then have people circulate back to them because they agree with okay. the person who tweeted that the original sense. thing like it, it's just it's like somebody who just aggregates views that way it's, it's <laughs> trash um so my stop the nonsense this week, and by the way, honorable mention goes to the Georgia player who was wearing an Alabama national champions hat after the game last night. Did y'all see that? N'Kobe Dean, uh, what? their first round middle linebacker. Yeah, they they were giving out uh, hats, and he had the Alabama logo on the championship <laughs> hat. I don't know whose fault that was. That's hilarious. It was very funny. That's so funny. Uh, the second is, so I've been on Twitter throughout the day as you know I usually am unfortunately and get get my stop the nonsense get this stupid dot thing off of my timeline Mercada is that what it's called I have no as, what? as a as a rabbit you're talking uh, about wordle <laughs> wordle oh, is that what that thing is like the green and yellow like squares what is Mercada <laughs> <laughs> that's what you said yeah, it's some. It's that's funny if like you didn't know you said it and you try to convince us that we said that word to you out of nowhere. Hold on, do do you guys know what Wordle is? Because no. I have no idea. No, it, get this thing off old. my timeline. It's like four green squares and a yellow square, and people are like, "Huh, I got four out of seven on Wordle," and I'm like, "I don't I, know what I, that even I is." Care is, so is that what little. Luke is talking about? Yeah, is it the same thing? Yeah, okay. you know, Mercada. Yeah. Mercada, yes, of course. <laughs> get it off my timeline i don't care i I don't even know what it is yeah like it's almost like it's a weird like cryptic puzzle that like i want like it feels like something i want to know what it is but i feel like if i click on it it's gonna be like download this app and let it have access to your twitter and i'm just like no i'm googling what mercata is are you thinking of Mercado, which is market Spanish? The fem- feminine singular past participle of Mercar, which means to buy from the vulgar Latin. Oh, I did, yeah, that's what I, you're I did take Latin in middle school, but I don't think that that's where this came from. Stop the nonsense. I think I just. You by Luke's Latin in middle school. I, conj- <laughs> I think I just conjured that one up. I don't know. But yeah, get the wordle yeah. off my timeline. Don't care. Yeah, uh, I've seen it everywhere. Um, I've also seen like pictures of people like texting words to some sort of number. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's how you play. Um, if someone could mention us on Twitter and let us know what this is, because none of us have any idea, that would be that would be lovely. But yeah, I've seen it everywhere, and, and it has gotten kind of annoying. Speaking of annoying, uh, my stop the nonsense is uh, Joe Judge, uh, Mm -hmm. who got fired today. Thankfully. Um, Terrible head coach, went 10 and 23. Um, Just he like lies at press conferences, says that everyone (laughs) wants to be a New York Giant. All the coaches and players want to play with him um, and they can't play with him anymore because he just got fired. Uh, the, The media coverage was also weird surrounding um, this firing yesterday, Justina Anderson uh, had tweeted out that Joe Judge is staying. And then today he gets fired. And like she was the one 
who reported him getting fired also. So I don't know what the sources were telling her from within that organization. Uh, and then Jordan Renan, who covers the New York Giants for ESPN, he tweeted, uh, Joe Judge was a 38-year-old first-time head coach. He was saddled with one of the worst GMs in recent history and David Dave Gettleman and got fired after two years, primarily because they lost the final six games with no QB, plus things started falling apart. Amazing, vicious cycle. Uh, I agree about the Gettleman thing. Like, Gettleman was a terrible GM, and he ended up retiring uh, a couple days ago. But I don't think Joe Judge can be absolved <laughs> uh, of the blame. He was very much uh, a part of all the dysfunction. Um, and all you had to do was listen to one of his quotes from throughout the season. Um, and then if you want, you could go look at the third and nine QB sneak that he ran yesterday. Uh, no, not yesterday, Sunday. Sorry. That yeah. was that was that was the cherry on top. That was incredible stuff. Yeah, the the <laughs> the the stuff that he says at press conferences or at least lately has been wild. The comments about everybody's texting me wanting to come to the Giants, which Will pointed out might be tampering potentially according to NFL policy. Um, yeah, but like you know, and and I was talking to y'all about this earlier. Like Mike Vrabel is, is is has an ego, and he can be arrogant. Like we all uh, can see that. Hey, but number one, Mike Vrabel wins football games. Joe Judge has never. And B, Mike Vrabel does not tell the take the podium and tell us how great Mike Vrabel is. Like that does not happen. And and Mike Vrabel does not take the podium and say, well, you know. Where the or even tell us about how great the Titans are. He hates doing that. He does not get up there and say. I mean, he, the closest he's got is saying, you know, we don't have any front runners. We have guys who are mentally tough. Like he didn't get up there and just rave about man the culture that I that we've created here and that I've created and and he doesn't he doesn't say you know we're not like the other clown shows in the NFL like. Joe Judge just acted a fool and was unbearable and deserved to be fired. You know, I'm not big on sitting back and this guy needs to be fired and that guy needs to be fired, but it was it was time for Joe Judge. That there was no redeeming that situation. One more year of him was not going to fix anything. Yeah, I, I am very much in the uh, fire oh, of this guy. Oh, we know. <laughs> so so uh, as a professional in my lane, uh, that's 100% they should fire him. He's, I'm glad they did. Like, I, Really, like people have a problem with Jerry Reese, and Jerry Reese is from like, you know, my part of Tennessee, so I have like a special like respect for him, him and John Robinson both actually. But uh, So I have like a special respect for him because, just because that's the way people are. And really since uh, – they fired him like they like, I think they've had like 10 straight losing or no, sorry. It's like uh, they've had like six straight seasons with 10 losses or something. It's like the most in a most 10 loss. Uh, sorry, most double digit losses in a row among NFL teams currently like as an active streak, like to be worse than the Jaguars at losing in any sort of metric is unconscionable like you, you should like you should be like the team should be taken away from you urban meyer or joe judge who would you rather hire oh. no joe judge joe judge as much as urban meyer yeah, won national championships as a head coach joe judge has not in in college Boy, football, no. that's that's in a college good question football. 
I, I think way, Joe, for me Judge, it might be Urban. You could throw Hugh Jackson in there too, and I would be like, like kind of all of it's the same. <laughs> like it's like they both they all bring like terrible cultures because like people don't realize Joe Judge had before he acted a fool he talked himself into the Bill O'Brien position. He was about to get a chance to hire. <laughs> whoever he wanted as GM, it, all they had to do was find somebody that could stand him and he was going to have complete control of that organization. And well, why not? Like, he knows, just, he knows more about football than anybody else on planet earth. Hey, people have been calling him from other teams talking about how they wish <laughs> that they were on his team. So, I mean, I guess he knows something, right? Oh my goodness. <laughs> just unbearable. All of those people. All right. That's going to do for us. We will be back next week. Be here Wednesday. We will be previewing the divisional or Tuesday because I guess there's a chance they play on Saturday. In which chance? In which case, we would want to give you guys an extra day to listen. But we'll be here next week, so come and we will preview the divisional round of the playoffs, which will feature the Tennessee Titans. Till then, for Luke, for Will and Matthias, I'm Luke, reminding you and everyone else to stop the nonsense. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.